Hey guys, welcome back to another Friday solo episode of Time and Freedom for Lawyers. Let me know if you've heard this one before. Have you ever turned on YouTube or gotten an ad on your Instagram feed for somebody talking about how they were able to retire at the age of 30 by doing X? Maybe it's starting a blog. Maybe it's starting a YouTube channel. Maybe it's fulfilled by Amazon. Maybe it's real estate investing. And lately, it's probably not real estate investing. But a year and a half ago, it definitely was. Have you ever heard them say that? Well, I think most of those guys are liars. And in this show, I'm going to tell you why. Welcome to Time Freedom for Lawyers, where the goal is to become less busy, make more money, and spend more time doing what you want instead of what you have to. Bringing together guests from all walks of life who are living a life of their own design and sharing actionable tips for how you too can live the life of your dreams. Now, here's your host, Brian Glass. So one of the biggest myths in the financial independence retire early community is that a lot of the influencers are actually retired. And I I really take issue with this. So I was on my run this morning and I was listening to a podcast from a guy who's talking about how he left corporate America. He cashed out his 401k, which at the time was like a quarter million dollars, took whatever penalty on that, went and bought a piece of real estate. And now he's claiming he's retired as a real estate investor. It's it's just bullshit. There's no way that with less than $250,000, you can create a stream of income where you're actually retired. And what he means when he says retired is, I don't work in corporate America anymore because I have a blog and I have a YouTube channel and I have a coaching program that pays for all of my expenses of daily living. And of course, the the real estate helps with, and it's kind of his end to that community because it's what he teaches. But by no means is he retired. He's just gone and done something else. And so a lot of people will conflate investing with passive income and passive income with being retired and not having to work. And so I want to use this episode, my time with you this morning, to go over a couple of definitions of those things and hopefully give you some clarity about what to listen out for from these influencer types and podcasters like me as you're on this learning curve and learning where to invest and how to run a better business and how to live a better life. So why does this matter? I really think about three different buckets. So I have my active income bucket. That's the money that I make at my job. I have a passive income bucket. That's the money that I make without doing anything. And then I have holes in both of those buckets. And the hole is my expenses. What does it cost me week to week, month, year to year to be alive? And the goal for me is to have my passive bucket filling up so quickly that I don't have anything draining. So the income that's coming in from passive investments where I'm not trading dollars for hours, ultimately, I want that to pay all of my expenses of daily living because that frees you up to do really whatever it is that you want. Maybe you want to continue working in your job, but it gives you a certain level of financial security knowing that every month, every quarter, every year, all of your expenses are covered by money that's coming in from something that you're not working on. All right. So number one, let's start with some definitions. So active versus passive income. Active income is that income that you make in your W-2 job. Maybe you have a 1099 job. Maybe you have a W-2 that also gives you a K-1 because you own the business at the end of the year. Active income really is anything where you're trading dollars for hours. 
Passive income, on the other hand, is that income that comes in without you having to do anything. It comes in sometimes in the same amount, or right around the same amount, once a month, once a quarter, without you having to do anything in that month or in that quarter to make that money show up. And so when I talk about passive income, what I'm talking about really is mailbox money. And what a lot of these guys are talking about is not passive income. It's just money that they're not actively trading an hour for. So it might be blogging income. It might be YouTube ad revenue. But that, make no mistake that none of that stuff is truly passive. Somebody has put in work and they're being paid maybe at a high hourly rate, maybe for a number of years in terms of royalties or ad revenue, but it's not passive. And I think it's dangerous for these guys to suggest that you can retire just by learning a skill and going out and and by going out and putting that skill to work. So who talks about this? Almost without fail, it's the guys who have something to sell you. It's the guy who says, I retired based on fulfilled by Amazon or by drop shipping. And lo and behold, he's drop shipping or, or an FBA course that he wants to sell you. And the truth is that there are very few things that you can do that actually generate passive income. So I had my friend Omni Casey come and talk to my lawyer mastermind group last week, and he talked about what he calls piffle, passive income for life. Omni goes out and he buys, in the beginning he was buying single family homes and small multifamily, but now he buys just portfolios. So if I'm somebody who has 12 properties that they want to package together and sell, he's somebody that would be a buyer for something like that. And it's truly passive to him because once he's involved in it, he installs a management company and the management company runs the asset. He, once he's purchased it and passed it off to somebody else and he's paying that somebody else to run the asset, he is not involved at all in the day to day. And so that is a truly passive stream of income. The flip side of that is these guys who are selling courses on how to buy and manage Airbnbs and they're passing that off as being passive income. Make no mistake, that is not passive income at all. I bought an Airbnb at the beach about a year and a half ago and it was great for the first couple of months and I, I was looking at my pro forma and looking at the amount of money that was gonna come in and the amount of money that we were gonna spend on it and I thought, well, shit, if I could just buy four more of these, I won't ever have to work again. It's just not true because it's actually work managing that asset if you haven't built in the cash cushion to have a property management company run the asset. And in a beach town like Ocean City and a vacation town, the property management companies want a very high rate, which then eats all the way into your profit. And so we manage that property ourselves. And of course, I have a cleaning company that comes by every time the renter turns over. I'm not in there actually doing that. But we are calling to schedule the cleaner, schedule the plumber. You know, if the battery in the lock dies and somebody can't get into the house at 10 o'clock at night, we're getting that phone call about where's the backup key. And so it really is work. The other thing is that I slightly underestimated the amount of additional reserves I would have to hold and the amount of additional costs that that asset had associated with it. And so it's not generating, at least not in the first 18 months, quite as much profit as I would have hoped. And so I do need a couple more of those in order to make that work. But if I were buying several more, it really would be a full-time job to manage those assets. It would be a mistake to do the math then and say, well, if I just bought enough of these, I would be able to quit my job and wouldn't have to work. If I just bought enough of them, it would replace my job or could replace my job and I could leave a job that I didn't like if I had one of those. But it wouldn't be retirement because I still would be working in and on the asset. 
And so a lot of these guys who you hear who said, oh, real estate has retired me at 25, 27, 30, whatever, it's it's not true. They've just left a job that they didn't like and traded it for a business that they do. And I would suggest it's not even a business. They've traded it for a job that they like. They happen to maybe own the business and they're the only employee. But if they go on vacation and something breaks down, now we've got a big problem. And as you're looking at passive income opportunities, we've got to be thinking, what can I do work on the beginning in? What can I do my due diligence on, read the contracts on, invest in, and then never have to do any work once I've made the investment? So those are the opportunities that I look for now. Personally, I've got 10 streams of passive income that come in once a quarter or once a month, depending on the asset that I don't have to do any work on. And it pays for about 25% of my cost of living right now. The goal is that within a certain number of years, it'll pay for all of my cost of living and we'll just have this money coming in and that will free me up to do really whatever I want. But it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen if you are investing in one-off assets and you're the one managing the asset. Again, you've given yourself a job. You haven't given yourself a business or an investment. The other thing to understand about investing in these alternative assets outside of the stock market and outside of bonds and mutual funds and, and whatever else is that there are varying degrees of passivity, right? You could have a small multifamily or single family house that you're managing yourself that is much more active for you, but the returns for you are much higher because you're not paying a professional to be running the asset. On the other hand, you could have uh, the way that I invest now is mostly as a limited partner in other people's syndications where I just write the check and then get uh, direct deposits into my bank account in the future. I have no involvement in those at all, but the returns are lower than if I was doing it myself. And that makes sense because I'm I'm paying somebody else to operate the asset. So I was talking about this last week with a friend of mine who said, well, aren't you paying like a super high management fee for those? And I thought about it and I said, well, I really don't care what the management fee is, as long as I'm comfortable with the return, which in most cases has been 10 or 12% cash flow per year for the last couple of years. And then there's equity in the deal. Then when the asset gets sold to somebody else, I'll get all of my investment back and then some equity on top of that. And in the meantime, as long as I'm happy with that, what do I really care what the operator is making? In many ways, it's like the contingent fee practice that I run at the law firm. Okay. I'm making a lot of money working on these cases, but the clients are also happy. And as long as they're charging me market rates or I'm charging my clients market rates, it's a win-win for everybody. Now, listen, by no means am I an expert in investing in this stuff. And so take everything that you hear on this podcast with that grain of salt. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not your financial advisor. Absolutely. I run this podcast as a way of documenting my own journey and helping other people out along the way, but you need to do your own due diligence because your mileage may vary. But I thought it would be helpful because I do get asked a lot about this by friends of mine because I am known, at least in mastermind circles, as somebody that invests in more alternative assets than most people. I, I thought it would be interesting. I'll just run through where my passive income comes from. So about a quarter of the passive income that we make is from dividends and stocks. Obviously, the price of those stocks and price of bonds goes up and down on a day-to-day -day basis, and that's that's just the way that stocks work. But about a quarter of our passive income comes from dividends that those pay. About another quarter of it comes from the Airbnb that we manage. Again, we self-manage that 
asset. I've left more money in the bank as in terms of reserves than maybe I thought I would in the beginning, but about a quarter of what we're actually able to pull out of that bank account that we've set up separately for that asset is able to come back into my, okay, this is ready to be invested again pile. And then the other half of the money is in LP syndications. So I invest as a limited partner in somebody else's real estate deal. Usually the way that those structures work, and I've had a couple of guys on here talking about syndications, but if you haven't checked out those episodes, those usually work because there's a general partner, guy who goes out and finds the deal, who brings some money to the table, gets the the bank debt to finance most of the purchase price of the asset and then raises money from limited partners like me. And then the limited partners, while the deal is being operated by the general partner, we get quarterly or monthly distributions, usually at something like an eight, nine, 10% preferred return rate. And then when the deal sells to somebody else at the end of its life, we get back all of our equity, hopefully, plus some multiple of that equity as the asset has appreciated. And so I've done a deal on a restaurant. I've done a hotel development deal. Just as an aside, I wouldn't do another development deal because what I'm trying to build is cash flow and not necessarily equity multiples. And in development deals, obviously, because they're building the thing from the ground up, takes a lot longer for the cash flow to get started. And I've done a student housing portfolio, a company put together, I don't know, 40 or 50 some odd student housing developments at campuses across the US. So that's highly diversified in terms of geographic region, but not necessarily in terms of type of asset. And then towards the end of last year, I invested some money into an, an oil lease, definitely an alternative asset, but I needed some of the tax benefits from oil drilling. And I was able to get that in December of last year. I don't count any of the profits from the law firm as passive, even though some of the profits come from cases that I haven't directly worked on. I count all of that in my active bucket because my feeling is if I were to stop working at the law firm, I would probably have to sell my shares back. And so I don't really count that as a business that I could then transition to somebody else and expect it to keep paying me profit. Maybe I need to think a little bit differently about that, but that's just how I approach it here in 2023. If this has been interesting to you and you want to learn more and you want to learn from somebody who actually is an expert, I would commend you Brian Burke's book, The Hands-Off Investor. Or I would check out a couple of the podcasts that we've done. Uh, I did a podcast with Lane Kawaoka. That's several months back now. And I've had a couple of other syndicators on this show. Um, you can reach out to them, see what kind of offerings they have, see if they have a deal that you might be interested in. All right, that's it for now. As always, I have nothing to sell you. If you've gotten some value out of this episode, I would love it if you would write a review for the podcast and share it with one friend of yours. That's the only way that shows like mine grow. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend.